0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 12th of December 2010, entitled The Christ of Christmas, Past, Present and Future, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from John, Chapter 1, Verses 1 to 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Looking again this evening back to the Gospel of John, Chapter 1. In the beginning was the word... To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. and We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our Father and our God, as we approach your throne again this evening, Lord, we come thanking you for this time that we can look into your Word, thanking you for your Word that you've preserved for us, thanking you for your Spirit that lives within us. And Father, we come asking right now, Lord, as you know the hearts of each one here this evening, Lord, that you would undertake to speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, I pray that no one here this evening would hear the words of man, Lord, that they might hear the words that you would have them to hear, but the power that only you can deliver it with. Father, we pray that through the word that touches our hearts this evening, that in some way, somehow, we can all leave here different than when we entered, more like our Savior, more like Him, with a greater desire to share Him with others. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We said this morning that we were looking at this thought of the Christ of Christmas, past, present, and future. As we looked this morning, we first looked at verses 1 and 2 as we looked at the fact that we're speaking of the Christ of co-eternity, not just an eternal Christ, but a co-eternal Christ. We saw that as we looked into that passage there and we looked at what God was telling us, that it was in the beginning, and of course we we looked at the beginning here in relation to the beginning in Genesis 1.1, the beginning of everything that we know and everything that we see and everything that we are. From that beginning, everything forward from that was created in Genesis 1.1. But here in John 1.1, at that beginning point, at that same beginning point that we only came into existence, we came into existence by Him, the Logos. We find that He already was, and He already had been for all of eternity at that point. We saw that, secondly, not only was the Christ of Christmas the Christ of co-eternity, but He was the Christ of creation. Everything that is, everything that exists is all because of Him. Now I want us to look at verse 4 this evening. And as we begin to look on, I want to show you thirdly that we're speaking of the Christ of conversion, the Christ of conversion, the Christ of salvation, the Christ of redemption, whatever words you want to stick in there. The simple truth is that verse 4 says, in Him, in who? In Him, in the Logos that we talked about this morning, in Him was life and the life was the light of men, he—he he was the fountain of life. We see him referred to in the Scripture, physical, moral, eternal. Matter of fact, he was the very source of life. Life here, this verse expresses the the total sum of mortal and eternal blessedness and everything that it consists of. There, trench says here, whatever truly lives does so because sin has never found place in it. What happens when sin enters in? Brings death, right? Whatever truly lives does so because sin has never found place in it or having found place for a time has since been overcome and expelled. The truth is sin and life don't exist in the same place. Sin brings death. The Word. Is the sole source of life. Of course, in coded contrast to death. Just as life is found only in Him. He says here in this verse then that that life is the light of the world. In Him, in Christ was that life, and the life was the light of men. Not the Word. But the life in that Word is the life of men. Vincent says the Word becomes light through the medium of life, of spiritual life, just as sight is a function of the physical body. You see, it's He, the Word, being manifested, being seen in life, His works, His creation, His incarnation, His church, His saints, That's what brings light to the darkness. We've talked about what He is. Here we find that it's only in Him that life can be found. And the life that is found there is the light of men. Notice what he says in verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness. Shineth. Remember Some of you that were here, when we're talking about some of those endings with those old English words that we don't use, when was the last time you said something shineth? You probably said it shines, it shineth. You see, that has a specific meaning. It gives us the tense. It's a present tense, but it's a continual present tense. You see, there's no interruption to this light that shines all the way from the beginning that black chair that was sitting out there this morning, all the way from the beginning until now, it's still shining, and it's always been shining in the present tense all of that time. You find that he shineth. It denotes this property of light under all circumstances. It's not like that we... We'll see later down in verse 9, this was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The lighteth there is different from the shineth here, because the lighteth is something that denotes illumination. But we find that here the light is shining, even when people don't see it, even when people don't recognize it. It doesn't mean that light, you can't put this light out, this light shineth Always, It says here, he shineth in darkness. The word for darkness here is the strongest Greek word that you could find for darkness. It's only used a few times in all of Scripture. But it denotes the darkness of sin and the deepness of that darkness. Utterly dark, not just a shadow. You see, man has become prey to to sin. Into falsehood. We find here that the Word of God tells us, we mentioned this passage this morning in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Familiar verses. The Bible says, if we, what's the next word in your Bible? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Turn also to the apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter one. Notice what it says in verse 22 or 21, 21 to 23. It says, because that, When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things." We won't go back. We said this morning, you know, there's, there is no way. There are no words to be found to truly describe God and who he is, to describe the, the triunity of the Father, the Son. There is nothing else to compare it to. We find that here that man tries to bring God down to his level, down to a way that he can understand him, that he can somehow describe him. But, folks, that doesn't change him. We find that, I love this next part when it says here, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Many times when we use that word comprehended now, we think of just, just merely understanding. But the word here really carries with it a lot more meaning than just understanding. It carries with it the idea of being apprehended, of being grasped, of being seized. It's used in the sense of, of, of taking hold of something or, or taking possession of it or overtaking it or overwhelming it or over, overcoming it in that sense. You see, what he's telling us is that the darkness could not overcome the light. Light was victorious. Light was not banished. Light has not banished darkness and darkness doesn't overpower the light. Light And darkness coexist in this world around us side by side. They're both there. But you see, the light continuously, without interruption, shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot extinguish it. The darkness cannot overcome the light. It's totally impossible. You can't turn the light on and it still be dark. It'll never happen. The darkness can never be so dark that it can overcome the light when the light's there. You see, the one that we're talking about, the the Christ of Christmas, he is that life. And that life is the light of men. He says here that, that shineth in darkness, and it's impossible for that darkness to ever overcome or overtake in any way that light He goes on to tell us about a messenger. He says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him, who through the light might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. We find that here God sent his messenger, John. John the Baptist, he had a, a special commission. He came to bear witness, to give testimony of the light. That all, he says here, literally, no one excluded, that all men through him might believe, might through that testimony believe this glorious message that they might be brought out of that darkness. John knew he wasn't that light, but he was there to bear witness of the light. He was there just as you are today, that that light might shine through him to bear witness of the true light that can light the darkened souls of men. We find that as we look on, we find that verse 9 says, that was The true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The true light. The real light. The perfect light. The genuine light. There was nothing counterfeit about it. There was nothing symbolic about it. There was nothing shadowy about it. This was the real light. The only true light. And here it lighteth. It it illuminates. It makes it possible to see without that light. The darkness will never be overcome. It's the only light that can light man. But notice, notice that he says, that was the true light which lighteth. What's the next two words in your Bible? Every man that cometh into the world. Individually, personally, this light will individually, personally light every man in all of creation, everyone that's there, in all of manhood. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. We find that he, that light, was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not, it says. We saw from what we looked at already in this passage that yes, he was in the world, eternally, co-eternal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. We find that the light that John had been sent to testify of, he was bringing man the only real genuine light that could ever light those darkened souls. There was nothing else. This was the true one, and it was the only one that was able to lighten the darkened soul of any individual in all of creation. He says in verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. He was eternally. We've already saw in that world that was made by Him, the very world that came into existence through Him, that world didn't know him. That world didn't recognize him. Note that in verse 5, as light, he was comprehended not. Here in verse 10, as the word, as a person, he was not recognized. Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. He came to his own. Of course, first and initially, he came to his own through the incarnation. We said this morning that you begin to comprehend how creation and the incarnation and redemption and all these things are tied together. God is in all of it. And God's plan, and none of it is just coincidence. That which, in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. There he was invisible. (laughs) But he came unto his own, his own received him not. The truth is, is that he was always here. But when he came in the flesh, when the Spirit took on flesh, and he came unto his own, we find that they would not receive him. They would not accept him. We see in verse 10 that he's talking about the world at large. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. But here it's his own. His own people. We find that his own people, the very ones that whom he was born into in this world, the very ones that then hung him upon that cross, they received him not. It's Not talking about just being unwelcoming. It has to do with accepting him. It has to do with acknowledging him. They were not willing to accept or acknowledge him to be who he was, who he professed to be. They were not willing to receive him. As such, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As many. Individually, each and every one of you and everybody that you know, as many as received him, as many as would accept him, as many as would acknowledge him, as many as would believe on Him for who He was and what He had accomplished, to them gave He power, the authority, the right, a legitimate right to come about from the source which was the Word, the Logos, to become. Literally, here the the becoming is. Just like those that were born. To become, to be born into God's family as the sons of God. Find that that believes on His name. That believe. Present tense, continuous activity of faith, believe on. You see, folks, it's more than just an acceptance. That's just the beginning point. More than just accepting a statement. It's trusting him. It's to receive him and all that is is offered in him. To believe on Christ. Not just to believe the facts of history, not just to believe in a bunch of possibilities, but accepting him as and for all that he is, to fully trust him right now in the present and for the future, to accept, to adopt his teachings, his commandments, to trust him, to follow him, to walk with him, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, that believe on his name. we sang songs about it today. What does his name mean to us? What does the name of Jesus really mean to each and every one of us? You see, it should denote all that he is and everything that he is that we've seen here. Those that did, he says in verse 13, which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of God, man but of God. They weren't born of blood. The word here actually in the plural designating all the natural blood that comes down from our ancestors, from the parents. Wasn't that, wasn't of the will of the flesh. No matter how much you wanted it, no matter how much desire was there, that wouldn't do it. Not of the will of man. There is no human power that could bring this about. He says, but of God. The birth into God's family had nothing to do with man, but it had everything to do with God. When we celebrate, when we think upon, when we think about Christmas in whatever way that it might be, is it the Christ of Christmas that has our attention Is it him, the Christ of co-eternity, that even there at the beginning point of everything else, we saw this morning every infinite detail at the beginning of everything else, he already had absolute existence, and that absolute existence was in union with God, and it was God, everything that God was, the Logos was, everything. Yes, they were separate entities, but yet they were the same. The beginning. The Christ that was co-eternal with His Father. The Christ of creation. The Christ that nothing exists anywhere, in any way, without Him. We tied that correlation. Here it's the Word. Go back to Genesis 1.1, eight times you'll find those words, God said, and it was. God said, and it was. The Christ of co-eternity, the Christ of creation, the Christ, as we see in these verses, of conversion. Folks, He is the light of the world. We find that He is life, and that life that is in Him is the light of the world. And that's the life that needs to shine through each and every one of us. That's going to shed that light to this world. And the darkness can never overcome that light. And that light will continually shine. Sometimes people around us are still in darkness. You know, you can can go into a room that's well lit, but you could be so blinded that you don't even see the light. The Word of God compares that lost man to one that's blind. He has no sight. He has no vision. That darkness can never overcome the light. It can't change the light that's there. You could have maybe a little bit of light. You can choose to close your eyes if you want to. That doesn't put out the light just because you don't see it. the darkness can never overcome the light. When Jesus Christ came into this world, the very world that was made by Him, we find that the world wouldn't accept Him. The world wouldn't receive Him. The world wouldn't recognize Him for who He was. But as many as did receive Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. He was the only one that could do that, even to them that believe on His name. I want to draw your attention to the final verse in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, when we begin, we know something about the word that's being spoken of here, the Logos, because it's being used as a proper name. It's capitalized in your Bible. We find that we go down and we we know this, this, this Logos, and we find all these things out about it, But it's here in verse 14 that he tells us that it was that Logos that was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Logos, all the thought and expression of God for all of eternity that's there in that Logos, it was made flesh, it became flesh. He became that which only existed through him in the first place. That didn't mean that he became less God. It wasn't him becoming a person because he was always a person, person of the Godhead. But it was, if you would, a new mode of being, of existence for God. It wasn't just assuming a human body The Bible teaches us that he assumed the human nature entirely, completely without sin, but identifying with you in every temptation. He was not 99.9% man. He was 100% man while he still was 100% God. He, the Logos, all that God was, because the Logos not only was there, and had been for all of eternity, and not only was there with, in unity with God, was not only there as God, everything that God was that He was, He became flesh, and He dwelt among us. You see, many times we've used this term, and I'm not so sure it's a wise term for us to use, about God clothing Himself in flesh. But folks, it was a lot more than God clothing himself in flesh. The Bible says he became flesh. He didn't just put flesh over to disguise who he was. He became flesh. And when he did, he says he dwelt among us. He tabernacled, he fixed or had his tabernacle. He resided right there with us. Turn back again to One John in your Bibles. In One John chapter one, notice what he says, the first three verses, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us in our midst. For John, it was very personal for John, the one that had rested his head upon the Lord's chest, for John, it was very personal indeed. He says, and we beheld. You look at this word. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that's appraising something of great value. Now, I guess about the most valuable thing that I ever Truly appraised was a car. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, though, even in appraising an automobile, when you're doing that as a profession, and you go and you look at that, you don't just give it a passing glance and go on. It's there. And you look close at it, and you touch it, and you feel it, and you go all around it. If you've ever watched a jeweler, he puts on that special little eyepiece so that he can look at that jewel really close. That's the kind of vision that the Bible is talking about here. That's what the Bible is talking about. You take somebody that maybe appraises very expensive art, and it's crazy the prices that some of these things can bring. Well, that's what this word beheld. That's the idea. It it denotes a, a calm, continuous contemplation of an object which remains right there to the one that's looking at it. We beheld. We saw exactly who he was and what he was. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, a glory like no other, God's glory seen through his only begotten Son. While he was here in flesh, he is still 100% 100% God, you can still see all the glory of God within him. Now, there's nothing else you can compare that to. But I'm telling you folks, that's what Christmas I don't care if it's December the 25th or January or March or April or May or whatever it is, Christ doesn't change. And yes, he came into this world. And yes, he was born. I don't know what day that it was on, but he came into this world. And we find in these 14 verses that we've looked at right here, we find the Christ of Christmas. We see who he was and what he came for. Bible said, full of grace and truth. Aren't you glad that He came full of grace and truth? We wouldn't have had a chance. We wouldn't have had a hope. But in Him, we saw that our hope is that we don't get what we deserve. You know, I, I mean, I enjoy life most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> like you, I have some bad days occasionally. But even then, I mean, you know, the truth is, is that uh, you know, I'm not ready just to, to check out if God gives me the choice to hang around another day. I have no fear of death. The simple truth is, is that the only reason that we don't fear that death is because of His grace, because of His truth. I don't know about you, man, I get so fed up at me sometimes when I look in the mirror. (laughs) I really do. I can't understand. I can't understand why God would want anything to do with me. I can't understand why he loves me. I can't understand why that he wanted to save me. I can't understand why he would allow me to preach his word. I can't understand a lot of things. I get so fed up with me because I'm still so far from what he is, from what I want to be. Praise God from what we have the promise of one day really being. But the Christ of Christmas, he's the one that gives us that hope. The Christ of Christmas, past, present, and future is the same, always will be the same. This life that we read about here is an eternal life. And the simple truth is, so many people with even the best of intentions, I have never, I mean, I've I've met some pretty strange people in my life, Brother Ramani. He met me one day. (laughs) But I've never met anybody that would told me if they had a choice that they'd rather go to hell than heaven. Just never met anybody that was that far off the rocker that they would really rather go there. I've never met anybody that even though they maybe had their doubts, they had their denials. You see, what people don't realize, sometimes they they talk about our faith. We've got to have this faith, and I just can't live by faith. The simple truth is, we've all got faith in something. You're trusting in something. You're either trusting that He is and that He's real or that He's not and that you're right. <laughs> we all have faith. The question is, where do we place that faith? People with the best of intentions. You've got to grasp, folks, again, we see it in so many ways in so many places. But here, but to them, only them, that believed on him. To them, they were the ones that became the children of God. It's not an academic knowledge. It's not a Bible knowledge. It's not a religious thing. The Christ of Christmas came so that you individually could be forgiven for your sins. But if you don't accept it, if you don't acknowledge Him for who He is. And the simple truth is you can't acknowledge Him and see Him for who He is and not see yourself. And if you've never been willing, you know, it's a very, very simple thing. If you've never been willing, as we said this morning, to just humble yourself and admit that you're a sinner and recognize that. And genuinely from your heart seek that forgiveness that only He, full of grace and truth, can bring to you. You know, don't trust in your religion. Don't trust in your prayer. Don't trust in your good intentions. Don't trust in your good deeds. It's only Jesus. I don't say that. If You're here, and if you've never done that, there's nothing in this world that you need more. Nobody can do it for you. Why would you want to trust in anything else? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth. Father, for these are thoughts that we look at time and again and maybe especially at this time of the year often. But, Lord, I pray that they would never get old to us. Lord, I pray that we could just be reminded in the simplicity of this sermon of the Christ of Christmas. Lord, with all the varying ideas of the celebrations and how to celebrate and how not to celebrate, It's the Christ of Christmas that's important. It's the fact that he was born to this earth in the flesh, begotten of you through the Holy Spirit. He came to bear our sins. He came that we might be forgiven for our sins. Lord, there's still so many around us. Lord, so many that are blinded in their religion, that are blinded in their their own thinking. Father, I pray that somehow that life, that life that only comes through Him, that that life can be a light through us, the life of Christ living within us can be a light to those around us. Lord, we pray that there would be anyone here this evening or anyone that maybe listens to this sermon later. Lord, we pray that through the power of your Spirit, Lord, I feel so helpless at this time many times, but in the heart we know what people need, and yet we cannot do that for them. I pray, Lord, that you would take these simple words that remind us of who the Christ of Christmas really is. And I pray that as we think upon Him and look upon Him this evening, I pray that you would speak to hearts, that you would encourage, strengthen. Lord, put a a desire and a burden within each believer that is here, Then each one that's already experienced this new birth that we read about here. Desire to let that light shine to the world around us. Lord, help us. Help us that that true light can shine through us because He is the only true light. Nothing else, nothing else will overcome the darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness that is in the hearts of those around us. Father, I pray that You would encourage us that even through these next weeks as we celebrate that festival called Christmas in whatever way, Should light the light of life to shine through each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.